Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the indescribable gift of life that we know and enjoy today. We praise the name of the Lord our God, and we will praise his name forever. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Good morning, First Baptist Church Gray. I am so proud to be here. Thank you, Logan, for inviting me. It's my joy to come be with you folks this morning and spend some time. I was um, so blessed yesterday to be with the choir and the orchestra and those folks that had dinner for us last night. And I'm going to tell you something I learned about First Baptist Gray last night. You folks know how to make strawberry cake. I want to tell you that. That was some good stuff. Now, I'm excited to be here. I'm very grateful to the pastor for this privilege to stand here with you and to share God's word with you. And I want you to turn to the 10th chapter of Hebrews. And we're going to look at a passage together to try to answer a question. And the question we're trying to answer today is why in the world do we come to church? I mean, seriously. We come Sunday after Sunday and there'll be churches all over the world today and all through the week where people come to the house of God with the people of God, with the word of God and we come to church together. Why in the world do we come to church? Sometimes we come because mama said if we want to have lunch with her we got to come to church first. Sometimes we come just out of a habit, out of it's our custom. It's just what we do. We, we've always gone to church. We come to this church. This is where, what we do on Sunday, and we, we just do it out of a habit. Sometimes we come to church because we think we are supposed to, because we're trying to get God to love us, to bless us, to, to, to bless our business, to, to bless our family, to keep us healthy, to do all these things for us. And so to give God a tip, a nod, something that will placate him or keep him satisfied with us, we'll come to church. I don't know, but our kids went to church a lot. My kids are grown now. My youngest son, John, is 22. But one night I saw a very clear indication this boy has been in church a lot. When he was about four years old, and I'm walking by the bathroom where he is giving himself a bath. He's the only one in the bathroom. And John is in the tub and I'm hearing him talk. He's four years old and he's talking. And I, I hear what he's saying and I'm, I thought, well, now what is, who is he talking to, first of all? And what is he saying? So I stopped at the door of the bathroom. He did not know I was there. And I started listening to what John was saying and watching what he was doing. He said, do you believe in Jesus? Then he answered himself, yes, I do. Then he grabbed his nose and said, I baptize you, my brother. In the name of the Father and the Son, it wasn't this clear, but you get the idea. And the Holy Spirit and John, holding his own nose in the tub, baptized himself. I fully expect when I get to heaven to find out that that was the one that really counted. He baptized himself. He dunked it. He said, and here's what he said. He said, I bury you with my brother. And he goes down under the water and comes back up and he said this. He said, and raised to walk in newness of life. I thought that boy's been to church a few times. But why do you go to church? 
Let's look at Hebrews chapter 10. And I want to show you and just let God's word be our guide today. He is our teacher. And I'm asking him to help us all see this today in Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews is a wonderful book of the Bible. It really reads more like a sermon. And though we're not very sure, completely sure who the earthly author of this book might have been, we do know that God's spirit gives us this unique book of the Bible that helps interpret the gospel for us. We see something very powerful in Hebrews chapter 10. And if you'll notice with me, toward the end of the book, this section where he begins to talk to his brothers and sisters, that begins in verse 19. I want to read it for you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, and he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain that is through his flesh, And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. And let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering since he who promised is faithful. And let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day coming. Why do we come to church? Well, let's start with this passage right here. It says, therefore, brothers and sisters. And right off the bat, we see that church is a gathering of the family. We're family. I don't know most of you. I've never met most of you. I've met several of you yesterday and enjoyed my time. I'm getting to know Logan. I met him a few years ago, but don't know him closely as a friend. But I want to tell you something. When I am around people that love Jesus, we have an instant connection as brothers and sisters. Do you ever sense that? Have you ever been somewhere when you've been around people and you can see just in moments, I'm with brothers and sisters here. A few years ago, I was blessed to go to South Africa I'd never been there before and I was there in South Africa with a with a church on part of that great city of Cape Town and serving in a ministry there while I was there that week and one of the things we did was we went to a township that's outside of Cape Town a township that's called Masifumilele it took me all day to learn how to say that but anyway Masifumilele and these are people that come from an African tradition that don't even speak English that well. They do speak it as a second or third language, but they actually, in their first language, speak a language that they call Afrikaans. And I went to their worship service and was there as they would sing and as they would preach, not understanding a word of what they were saying or what they were singing. I did recognize melodies as they would sing some of the very songs that we would sing in our churches here. And yet these people that I'd never met before, that I'd never seen before, that were speaking a language that I didn't even really understand at all, I immediately felt a connection with them as if I'd known them my whole life. Church is a family affair. It's the family of God that comes together when we worship. Well, the writer says, therefore, brothers and sisters, Anytime you see, and you've probably heard your pastor say this, anytime you see the word therefore, you need to look a little further up to see what is the transition that he's making here. What's he making that statement from? In other words, a therefore would be this statement. If this is true, then this also is true. 
So let's see what is true that has caused him to say, therefore. Look back a little bit further in the text in chapter 9, and I want to give you some great news this morning. Verse 11 of chapter 9, but Christ has appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come. In the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that, I, that is not of this creation, he, that is Jesus, entered the most holy place once for all time, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood having obtained eternal redemption. And he goes on to describe something that Jesus, our great high priest, has done for us. You see, the old covenant, the sacrificial system that marked it, was so limited in what it could do for us. As a matter of fact, this holy God was so holy that he could not even be approached in his presence. God would tell Moses in Exodus 19, just right before Moses climbs that great mountain to get the law of God, he says to Moses, put a fence around the mountain so that no man, no woman, no child, not even an animal would go near the mountain. For anyone that touches this holy mountain would have to be put to death immediately if they touched it. That's the holy God that you and I serve. And the old system was designed to do two things. It was designed to show us our sin, to show us our guilt. But the second thing that the old system was designed to do was to keep this holy God at a distance from us. And it was an important thing that he remain at a distance from us because of his holiness, our nearing to ourselves to him would only result in our own destruction you ever been somewhere where you weren't supposed to be and you knew you weren't supposed to be there and you thought any moment now I'm going to be thrown out I'm not supposed to be here I don't belong here years ago I lived in Austin Texas and while I lived in Austin there were members of our church that worked for then Governor Bush George W. Bush when he was governor of Texas I was living in Austin at the time and we had a number of people in our church that were on his staff then when he became the president of the United States, no less than 12 members of our church went to Washington with him, remained on his staff, and began to serve at the White House. It was the most amazing thing to see these friends of mine that are now working in the White House. One of those friends was the minister of students secretary on our church staff and she had volunteered in the Bush campaign. We had become president. He had hired her and now she is the director of the East Wing of the White House. And she's my close friend. And that's kind of cool. So she says, do you guys want to see the White House? We said, of course we want to see the White House. So me and two other guys arrange our flight and we go to Washington, D.C. She tells us ahead of time to send us our social security numbers ahead of time so Secret Service could do the background check. And when we got there, we'd be able to go in and we wouldn't be on a tour, a guided tour of the White House. We would be on a walking tour with somebody that worked there. And we got there, we got to Secret Service, we got there, they looked our names up, we were already on the list. I was so relieved to find out that they didn't find out anything in my background check. That was a relief. But, but they said, come on in. I was welcomed in. I was given a badge around my neck. It had a giant A on it, which signified that I was 
I was able to gain access to the White House, but I was not there to roam on my own and go anywhere I wanted to. I had to be in proximity of someone who had something else on their lapel. It was a little lapel pin that showed that they belonged there. And Secret Service would look, see my A, and then they would see her lapel, and I would be granted access to the White House. When we happened to go the very first time, we happened to go about one week after a man, and I don't know if you remember this, but very early in President Bush's time as president, there was a breach of security at the White House, and a man had actually gained access to the grounds. He had burst through a Secret Service area and had gotten onto the grounds of the front of the White House in a full sprint. And he had, he had only gone about 50 yards in that sprint before he was actually gunned down. He was shot in the leg and was he fell right there on the front lawn and they immediately got him he was only on the grounds uh, just for a few seconds really before they, they neutralized him real quickly when, when she was giving us our first tour we were walking around that front ground it only happened about a week and a half before so I asked her I said now where was that guy shot and she said right here and I said now um, who shot him and she said look up there and I looked up on top of the White House and there were two guys staring at us with M16 rifles she said one of them is who shot him she asked me an interesting question she said you know why they shot him in the leg and I went no she said because that's where they were aiming if they'd have wanted it right here they would have put it right there now I want to go back to this text and show you something pretty amazing because we have a high priest who has entered into the holy place once and for all and with the sacrifice of his own blood and his own flesh has made the permanent atonement for our sin and our faith in him gives us far more access than the grounds of the White House. We have access to the holiest place of all, to the very presence of God himself. Now, when I was standing on the front lawn of the White House in a subsequent visit, a few years later, I, was out, I found myself out there and I'd gotten away from my host and I realized, I remembered what she said about those two guys that were on top of the place. And I looked up there and there they were again. And the last thing I did was take off running because I knew what would happen if I did. I just kind of eased back over to where I was supposed to be. But listen, brothers and sisters, why do we come to church? Because we have a great high priest who has made a way for us to not only gain access to the proximity of his presence, he has welcomed us into his presence. And this is the first reason we come to church. It's the first let us in this text. It says, since we have a great high priest, let us draw near. We come together to draw near to the one who has given his life and shed his own blood for us. And we're welcomed in. We're not guests here. We are at home here. We draw near. My dad was a grocery store manager all of my life. He worked for the Kroger company and he would Managed Kroger stores. I remember when I was just seven or eight years old, I remember I loved to get up on Saturday morning and go to the store with my dad. 
and he would give me some job. He'd send me over to the bread aisle and say, straighten out the bread, son, and I'd be over there messing with the bread, and I'd, I'd put on an apron, and like I was one of the main employees and I would make myself at home and if I wanted to I'd go over to the produce section or I'd go over to the other section or I'd go into the butcher shop I made myself at home let me tell you why I made myself at home because my dad was the manager of that store and he had the big load of keys and I felt very welcome and very free there in a much better way we have a high priest who has given us access to his presence and the Bible tells us he holds the keys to all of it that's the first reason we come to church to draw near let us draw near but let me show you the second one this is pretty important as well if you keep reading let us draw near verse 22 and then look at verse 23 let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering since he who is promised is faithful we draw near we hold on to the confession a moment ago we stood and we read the word of God together we started our worship time today by confessing together the word of God we have a confession we have a testimony we have an expression of who he is and what he's done in our lives we come near we draw near we join together as brothers and sisters and draw near to the one who has made a way for us to know him but we do more than just come near to him we come to hold on to the confession this is such an important part of worship the confession that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior that he is one God that he is worthy of our worship and we hold on to it. We express it to each other. We look each other in the eye and we say, it's true, it's true. His grace has supplied all of my needs. He has given me new mercy every day this week. He has brought me through the challenges and the storms. I look across a room of this size. I know there are people here today that are facing different aspects of some of the, some of the difficulties life can present. There are people here that are facing reality with your work. There are families here who have a family member that is on the outside looking in and is estranged perhaps or somehow has moved on and away. We've got people here that are facing medical challenges and crises. We've got people here that have experienced great joy in their lives in recent days we've got every single life expression of any experience that any of us could have represented in this room right here and here's what we do when we come together in corporate worship we come together to look at each other in the eye and to say it's true it's true his grace has been sufficient his strength is enabling me I stand here today by the glory of God and the strength that he gives me and I'm here holding fast to the confession of the good news of the gospel and here it is for somebody today maybe you didn't understand this the good news of the gospel is not that God found a way excuse me is not that you can find a way to get to God that you can do enough religious things that you can follow this four or five step plan the good news of the gospel is not that you can find a way to God the good news of the gospel is that God has found a way to you and he has reached where you are and he stands ready today to give you access to his presence.
by your confession of faith in him. That's the great news of the gospel. We draw dear. We hold on to the confession. We believe it with all of our hearts. We do what those men in Luke chapter 24 did. You remember them. We call them the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And you remember that very first Easter Sunday, they had heard the news that Jesus' body had been moved and he wasn't in the tomb any longer. They'd heard the news, but they were completely distraught because they had seen the crucifixion. They had watched him die. He, was, he, he seemed to have failed in what they thought he was there to do. Their hearts were broken and they were walking back home in defeat, about an eight-mile walk. And on the way, Jesus comes along and begins to walk next to them. And he says, why are you so upset? And one of them, uh, Cleopas, says, are you, are you the only person that knows, that, excuse me, that doesn't know what happened in Jerusalem this weekend? Are you the only person that doesn't know? Because everybody knows. He says, what things? And they begin to describe the crucifixion, the burial. He even go further to say, and two women have told us that they've moved his body, but we don't know what to believe. And the Bible tells us that Jesus then took the law and the prophets and even Psalms and described all things considering himself to those two men on their way to Emmaus. And then when they gathered for dinner, when Jesus blessed the meal, they realized, their eyes were open, they realized it was him. You know what they did when they realized it was Jesus? He was gone immediately. The Bible says that these two disciples, Cleopas and the other one who is unnamed, got up and immediately ran back to Jerusalem. Now, I don't know how long it would take you to walk eight miles but I want to suggest to you their return trip went a lot faster than the one coming home that day because they're in a full sprint. And they run immediately to find the other disciples. They knew where they were gathered. And they burst into that room and they said, you won't believe it, but we've seen him ourselves. And while they're telling their testimony, Jesus comes and appears again in that very room. Let me tell you why we come to church. We come to church because we have seen him, because we have experienced his power and his presence in our lives, because we've heard him speak, because we know how he has moved in us. And we can't help but run to where the disciples are to give our testimony. And we hold fast to the testimony that he is alive and he's made a difference, the difference in my life. That's why we come to church. I want to show you the third reason. It's right here in the text. We draw near to him. We hold fast to the confession of our faith. But look at this third one. And let us watch out for one another to provoke good works. As some is, and, and not forsaking the assembly of ourselves or not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day of coming. We draw near, we hold fast. And we watch out for each other. We look across this body of believers here at First Baptist Church Gray. And we watch out for each other. We encourage each other to hold fast, to be true, to hang on, 
to have confidence that he is providing and will provide all that you need. It's beautiful when you walk through something with the body of Christ. When my wife was 35 years old, we had three children. And at that time, my son Lee was nine. My daughter Elizabeth was six. My son John was less than a year old, 10 months. And we're in the hospital. We're in Baptist Hospital in Jackson, Mississippi. And the surgeon, the oncology surgeon, is looking at something very suspicious on a mammogram and decides we better do a biopsy. And I'm in the room, 35 years old, when the surgeon comes in and looks at me. Teresa's not back yet. She's still in recovery. And he says, it's breast cancer. And he went on further to say, and this case scares me to death. Why does it scare you? And he said, oh, oh, I didn't mean to make it sound that ominous, but it is ominous, but... He said, the reason it scares me is how easily we could have missed this. And the journey that was in front of us would be about a year long as my wife began to deal with the implications of breast cancer. 21 years ago, she's cancer-free today and waiting on me to get home tonight from Gray, Georgia. I'm grateful to the Lord for that. You know how many times since she had that cancer that I've looked in the eyes of someone who walked through the same experience, who were experiencing some of the same things, who had some of the same kinds of news from a doctor. And I've been able to look at them in the eye and say, I know this, God gives you exactly what you need. And if God had chosen another outcome for Teresa, he would have still been the sovereign God that he is and he would have given us the grace that we would have needed at that point to have dealt with it the way that he intended it to be. And in his providence, he saw fit. He knew how much I would need her. And he brought healing to her life here on earth. Sometimes God chooses the other. Sometimes God brings permanent healing. You know how many times I've been able to sit with someone and just grab their hand and go, I know. I've been there. I know what that feels like. I know what it's like to be the husband of the wife who's gotten the diagnosis. And I can't tell you how many times I've picked up the phone and I've called that guy and just say, look, you and I are fixers. We're the husband. We're the man of the house. We want to fix this. Well, you can't fix this. But I know the one who can get you through it. His name is Jesus. And his grace will sustain you. And I speak that into the lives of other men because I walked it myself. When we come together, the reason we come to church is to encourage one another, to say, it's true, he did it, and he will do it for you. And we encourage each other. That's why we come to church. That's why when the song is sung, Our arms aren't folded and our mouths aren't scowled up because we're mad about something. That's why we're engaged. That's why we pour out our worship to encourage each other, to watch out for each other. A few years ago, my daughter Elizabeth was training to run the half marathon in Nashville. Nashville has three or four marathons. And my daughter had decided she wanted to run a half marathon. And I just really had one question for her. Why? 
<laughs> Why do you want to do that? Just, you know, just go buy the bumper sticker that says 13.1 and put that on the back of your car. If that would, you don't actually have she said, no, she really wanted to do it. She had some friends that were training to run the half marathon, and Elizabeth wanted to run the half marathon, so she decided she would. She began to train several weeks, like 10 or 12 weeks on this day, run that far on this day, do this, and on and on and on, and she built all the way up to the day of the race. Well, I found out about a week before the race. I was asking her. I said, so you're going to run the race. Who's going to be there watching you? Is Thomas, your husband, going to be there? And it turned out Thomas wasn't going to be there. Because Thomas, he works for the Nashville Predators, the hockey team there in Nashville. And they happened to have something going on that day that Thomas had to be at. And so Thomas wasn't even going to be there. And it also turns out that Elizabeth, because of a stress fracture in her foot, had not been able to really complete her training. And she wasn't running at the same interval that some of the ladies she'd been training with was, were running at. And she was actually going to be running the race completely by herself and no one was going to be there. And I told my wife, I said, oh, daddy is going to earn some points. So I talked to a guy that's on my team at Lifeway Worship. I said, Tim, he's a marathon runner. I said, Tim, my daughter's going to run the half marathon Saturday. What would be a way that I could encourage her? He says, oh, easy. He said, go to mile 11 and have water with you because usually by that time, late in the race, the, all the water stations are already out. Have some water, meet her at mile 11, put on some race clothes, and just run part of the race with her. And I said, that's a great idea. So I looked on the race map that was in the paper, and I looked to see where mile 11 was, and it just so happens that mile 11, the marker for that, was right next to the Lifeway parking lot. And I thought, the Lord is in this. I won't even have to pay for parking. So I went, I paid it, I went to Lifeway, I got my spot, I had my race clothes on, I calculated about what time she would get to mile 11, and I found a corner right there that could look up this long straightaway, and I could see the runners coming toward me, and I knew my daughter was going to be coming up that hill, and I would see her. And Elizabeth has a very distinct way of running. She kind of throws her legs out to the side like that, and I was watching to see, okay, where's she coming, where's she coming? And sure enough... After I'd waited a little while, I looked way in the distance and I could see those. I could see, and I, that's her. That's got to be her. Nobody else would run like that. That's got to be her. And so I, I started watching, 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 and then I come in kind of behind her, and I kind of get up next to her, and then I start running right next to her. I don't say a word to her. And we run 30 seconds together, and I'm just kind of doing, had two bottles of water. And finally she says, Dad! I go, hey, how long have you been there? Since the starting line. <laughs> no, just came. And I said, hey, I want to tell you something. I said, how's your foot? Because she'd had that stress fracture. She says, it's killing me. I said, do you need some water? I do, I'm dying. Okay, here. She took that water and she started drinking. And I took that one back. Then I gave her the other bottle. And I said, hey, you're, you're two miles from the finish line. And I checked the course out. It kind of goes uphill here, and then it comes, it comes over here, and there's a straightway that goes right to the finish line. And if I'd have been a great dad, I would have run the rest of the way with her. But I said, tell you what, I'm going to stop running, and I'm just going to cut across to the finish line right there. <laughs> and I did. I walked about three blocks to get over to the finish line, and 
I got over there and I got to the finish line and I started watching for her familiar gate again and there was an announcer that was announcing when they see the runners approaching and they get their bib number they get they look up their name and they call their name out and uh, so I'm at the finish line I'm waiting I'm waiting I think I see her and finally the announcer says Elizabeth Willis and uh, and here she comes and she finished, and she's pulling it, man, she finishes strong. She gets across the finish line. She's going up there. They put a medal around her neck, and then she comes up to this area, the biggest table of bananas I've ever seen, and she gets there. She gets her banana, and I'm moving along, try to get to her, and I get to her, and right when I get to her, she just falls into my arms and grabs me around the neck. She says, oh, Dad, oh, Dad, if you had not come, I would have never finished the race. She said, my foot was killing me. I didn't think anybody was here to watch me finish. The girls that I had trained with had finished way ahead of me. I was tired. I was out of water. And I would actually had told myself I could stop right now and nobody would know. And nobody would care. But she said, when you showed up and said, you've got this, you can do it, you can finish, and I'll be waiting for you at the finish line, she said, I had to finish then. I knew you were going to be there. I had to finish. Why do we come to church? Why do we sing the songs? Why do we confess our faith to each other? I'll tell you why. It's you and I looking at each other saying, you can finish. And I'm running too. And the one that we are looking to is the author and the finisher of our faith. And he's already completed this course. And he waits with us now. And he, a lot better than me, doesn't stop running with us. He tells us he never leaves us nor forsakes us. He is running this race with us. And I want to tell you, that's why we come to church. To draw near to him. To hold fast to what we believe. And to encourage each other. And when you're not here, or when you're unplugged, or when you're just watching, you're actually keeping the rest of us from receiving the confession and the encouragement that God has put in your life to give to the rest of us. Listen, we're in this race together. This is why we sing. This is why we share and confess and testify. And we encourage each other. As the day is fast approaching, when the race will be over. And that, First Baptist Gray, that's why we come to church. Pray with me. Thank you, Lord Jesus, the author and the finisher, the one who made a way for us to enter into the presence of God I pray today as we make our confession of faith to each other and as we encourage each other and as we draw near to you 
Lord, would you do that in the hearts of these people, into this great church? And that this place will be a place and a church made up of people that hold fast and watch out for each other. And Lord, if there's somebody in this room this morning that has never met you, I pray, Lord, today they'll understand because of your sacrifice in our place that they can draw near to you by placing their faith in you. Most of all, God, the name of Jesus be praised in your church for your glory today. I invite you to stand with me. And as is, as is the custom of this church, we're going to sing a song of response. Let's stand together right now. As Logan leads us and as God impresses you to respond, maybe you want to come to this altar and just pray for someone that you know should be here or not. Or maybe you need to come for the very first time and place your faith in Christ, however God might lead. Maybe you ought to come and be a part of this church so that you can do these three things with the body of believers here in this church. However God would lead you, as Logan leads us, you respond right now.